everyone. Welcome to That's What We Read, a podcast for lovers of all things wordy. I'm Holly. And I'm Mark. We're finally here with our first episode. Woohoo! Finally, I feel like we've been talking about doing this for so long, so it feels a little bit surreal to actually be getting started with all of this. So we should probably introduce ourselves and tell all of you who we are, why we're doing this. So about two years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to start a podcast. I didn't really know what I wanted it to be about. And then I was thinking, we talk about books all the time. Our entire relationship is pretty much based on books. And the other thing our relationship is based on is that's what she said jokes because we are immature children so that's where the name of the podcast came from and I sat on this idea for maybe yeah about two years and now we're finally doing this so that's what she said that is what she said so yes about us we are married I have lived in the US for the last six years since we've been married Um, I'm originally from Surrey Mark, what about you? Tell the lovely people about you. I feel like all I'm doing is all of the talking. (laughs) That's fine. You'll uh, soon regret asking me to talk because once I get started, sometimes it's tough to stop. That's true. So I've, um, I'm not English, as you probably noticed. I've been a reader from as long as I can remember. My parents, uh, we lived close to the the local library when I was young and we went very frequently for story time. And um, I remember frustrating the ever living daylights out of my parents because when we would go on family vacations, all I wanted to pack were books and they were frustrated that I wanted to bring more than five books in a weekend vacation and i was frustrated that they wouldn't let me bring 10 um i can confirm that you still do this i think the very first time you came to visit me you had at least seven books in your bag and i don't even know if that was including your suitcase as well that was just the onboard bag that you had on the plane that you had at least seven books in there yes so that's uh another thing we we reference um and we'll reference frequently Holly is the type of person who, once she starts a book, she will either put it to the side and never pick it up again because it's just no fun, or she'll finish it and see it through to completion. Me, on the other hand, um, if I had to count the number of books in my library that I had bookmarks in, I'd run out of time. So... I think that's why most of the bookmarks you use are train tickets and plane tickets and paper because there are not enough bookmarks in our house to fill the books that you are partway through. It's true. So, that's very true. you know, as we're, we're going through this and figuring out how this podcast works, um, it will not be an uncommon occurrence for me to reference a book that maybe I'm in the middle of or haven't finished or started. Uh, This should in no way be taken as a vote of disapproval towards the book. Uh, For me, it's similar to meals and brain food. You know, if if I have a slice of pizza or two for lunch, I don't necessarily want to eat that same pizza for dinner. I might want uh, lasagna or something completely different. Whereas, you know, I may start reading fiction and then the next day I, uh, I want to read something about history or... Um, a different type of fiction so it's it's about variety and keeping things fresh for me so 
that different philosophies will be something you'll definitely learn about us. I think that's probably why we have so many books in our house. We did a count of these about six months ago with an app. What's that app called? It's great. I love it. We let's look. It's a great app. You basically catalog all of the books that you own. You just scan the barcodes and it catalogs all of them, which I would highly recommend doing if you have a lot of books, because I had to do this when I moved from the UK because all of my books were shipped over and it took about three months for them to get here. So I had to for insurance purposes, but it's also a great idea, even if you're not moving to do this for insurance purposes, because if something terrible happened, like your house burnt down or flooded and you lost all of your books, if you have a list of all of them, you can give them to the insurance company and you can replace them all and they'll probably figure out how much everything's worth. And it's also just fun to see how many books you have. I think our last count was just over a thousand between the two of us is that right i think we had just hit 1100 oh no oh yes and that's not including all of the kindle books we have that's just physical books in our house yes and the name of the app we use is book buddy it is easy to use and fun how long did it take you to catalog all of our books it took a while didn't it a long time i don't exactly know it's about five or six weeks it was it was a big project it was but i feel like if anything that just if we're gonna hoard anything that needs to be the thing that we hoard because books are our life and i think they play a very crucial role in our relationship because we got engaged outside of a bookshop so i think that pretty much sums us up very nicely that if we were going to do a podcast about anything it had to be about books indeed so between the two of us who do you think has the most books because it's clearly a competition right everything is I mean, a competition. everything's a competition i think you have more books than i do your yeah. bookshelves are much taller than mine although i do double stack mine because i have the square ikea bookshelves so every bookshelf i have is two rows of books not just one and yours is only one I still think you have more though, because you get rid of, you never get rid of anything. You keep every book forever. Whereas when I finish fiction, unless it's something I know I'm going to reread again, or it's classic and I'm never going to get rid of that. I usually give my fiction to friends, family, charity shops, whoever, whoever wants them. You never get rid of anything. I, I normally do not get rid of it. It's rare for me to get rid of a book. Um, you never know when you might want to reread it. It's true. Although I feel like with fiction, I I know pretty much instantly. As soon as I finish the end of the book, I, I know if I'm going to reread that book or not again. So, yeah, I usually get rid of them. Unless it's something really special. Most of my fiction shelves, I feel like a kind of a revolving door of books. So but My history books, I never get rid of. So classics aside, like what is it? What is that special thing for you that says I'm going to want to reread this book? Um, I don't know. I can't, I don't even think there's one specific thing that every time I'm like, yes, this is the one. So I didn't include this in my favorites list, but A Thousand Splendid Sons is one of my favorite books. Not necessarily for any specific reason. I just love that book, but. I think the reason I've kept that and I reread that over and over again is because the first time I read that book 
was when I was in France at my grandparents' house. It was just me. My parents hadn't come on that trip with me. So I, for some reason, was in a different room to the one that I would normally stay in when we would all go as a family. And there was a different bookshelf in there with some of my grandma's books. And that was one of them. And she left it on the bedside table for me. And I think I just have good nostalgic memories from reading that book. So... But I don't know. I don't think there's a specific reason that I like to reread things. I think it's just, it's a feeling. It's like when you walk into a house, if you're looking to buy a house, you get the feeling, you know, that's your house. So I think it's the same with books. Totally get you? that. Trying to think, are there any books that we really share? I know there are a couple, but there's not really too much that I would say we share between us. I mean, we each have harry potter said you have two because it's always a competition well no i have my originals from when i was a child and then i have the new set because the ones from when i was a child i only had the first four of the one cover and then they changed the cover art and so i needed a a full set that had the same cover art because i'm really neurotic about things like that so They just look really pretty. So I needed a a different full set that was the whole collection of one cover style. So that's why I have two sets. But your set, I think I bought for you too. You did? You had it specifically imported? Yes. Yes, I did. Why? Why did I do that? That seems crazy. Why would anyone do that? There are perfectly good books here in America. Why would you buy them? I, if I had to guess, it was probably due to the fact that the American publishers saw fit to change the title. It will never be The Sorcerer's Stone. A sorcerer and a philosopher are two completely different things. It does not make sense if it's called The Sorcerer's Stone. I mean, it would really explain why the Greeks killed uh, Socrates, but... Well, you needed to have the correct version. I wasn't going to have such blasphemy in my house. <laughs> I don't think other than Harry Potter, we really have that many overlapping books. I think Game of Thrones is really the only other one that we do because you have the really tiny print versions and I have the the giant print because I have terrible eyesight and I need, I need big letters. <laughs> but I think other than that, I don't think there is anything else that we overlap on. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's about it. Our reading tastes are so different. So I think that, that that's probably helped. Which was good, because when I moved here, we had at least half the same DVDs, so <laughs> we had to get rid of quite a few of those. But books, we were we were lucky we didn't have that many overlapping ones. So in terms of genres, what would you say is your kind of go-to that if you don't really know what to read, that's always a safe place to go? The safe place for me is probably history books of some sort or another whether it's American history or uh, world history of, of, of any sort, really. Um, it's, it's always enjoyable for me to read. There's always new historians coming out with new interpretations of the same events, which um, is one way that reading history or reading histories of the same event continues to stay fresh because it's a different person through different cultural lenses telling the same story. Um, you know, it's, it, it keeps it fresh. It's a new interpretation, new thoughts that, uh, that I haven't 
read or, or thought through before. So that's, that's one reason that I really enjoy reading history just because there's, there's so many different ways to set, to tell the same events that, um, it, it's, it, it keeps it fresh and it's always been a passion of mine. Um, Besides that, I, I would say I enjoy reading most things. There's not really one genre over others that I tend to gravitate to. Uh, how about you? Well, everyone knows how much I love history. So yes, history for me as well. Although I think your history tastes are very different from mine. You typically stick with things like military history, where I I tend to gravitate towards social and cultural history more. And I think the time periods that we like are slightly different as well. I mean, obviously American history traditionally doesn't go back as far as something like British history does. Um, but I love the Tudors. Most people who know me know that I could talk about the Tudors for a thousand years and never stop. So I won't bore everyone <laughs> with the details, but the Tudors, I love like Henry VIII, the wives. And I just, I've loved that since I was tiny. So I think that's just something that will stay with me forever. I have so many Tudor books. It's quite embarrassing. So I grew up about 20 minutes from Hampton Court Palace. And every time I go in the bookshop at the kind of gift section area, I look and see what books they have. And I think the last time I went a couple of years ago, I now own every single historical like academic book on the Tudors that they sell so that's I'm just waiting for historians to bring out new ones so that I can add to my collection because I now have quite an extensive collection um and I'm trying to find some older ones as well some kind of rare copies but we'll see if that happens um another historical topic that I'm very into is like witchcraft and magic um in my first year at university i took a class i think it was called religion and the decline of magic which was based on a book of the same name um, and that was really interesting and how you know religion and people's religious belief declines you know as you get closer to the 20th century and you know different beliefs about witches and witchcraft is so fascinating especially when you look at it across different countries obviously everyone knows about the Salem witch trials but not a lot of people know about witch trials and witch hunting in the UK and then across Europe so I have so many books about witchcraft and the history of witchcraft and magic um, one of my favorite podcasts is the law podcast which um, is just it's amazing if you love folklore and magic and interesting historical stories that's a really great podcast to subscribe to we actually went to see a live show of that last year and it was incredible I love Aaron Mankey's work um, but he's recommended a few different books on magic and witchcraft throughout different episodes of that podcast so I've bought a few of those and I, I love them um but aside from that, I think fiction wise, I always seem to go for classics. That's really my thing. Jane Austen, Dickens, the Brontes, that's my natural go-to point. If I'm looking for fiction, I don't really know where to begin. Um, I'm really fussy. I hate to be that person that does the whole judging the book by the cover thing, but I would never pick a book if I didn't judge the book by the cover. I have to get drawn in somehow, and usually that's the way. So I'll look at the cover. If it looks interesting, I'll read the blurb and then I usually make a decision from that point. But yeah, I think classics are really my my go-to for most fiction. So one of the questions that somebody had asked me on Instagram was our thoughts on audiobooks and digital books, which I thought was a really interesting question. Um, so what are your thoughts on 
audio books and non-physical books? I am unambiguously pro-book in every form or media, uh, whether that be audiobooks, ebooks. Um, I, I enjoy reading really in, in whatever form I can get my you know get my hands on a, a book. It, it you know if I would have had a Kindle as a kid, it would have saved me a lot of packing stress. Um, I, I you know I, I enjoy reading audiobooks. They're great for the commute you know, uh, a session at the gym, or if you just want to take a walk on a, a sunny day. Um, ebooks are great for when you're traveling or have other space limitations and, and uh, you know, you can't really carry physical books with you, uh, but you're always going to have your phone, iPad, uh, whatever other digital device you can read on. And um, as good as those are, it's true that you can't really beat the feel of a book in the hand. But um, there, for times that that just isn't feasible, uh, I'm definitely pro ebook, audiobook, whatever format I can get. Uh, there's also the fact that that often ebooks and audiobooks can be cheaper than physical books. Um, what about you? So I am very pro digital books. I have a Kindle. I love my Kindle books, especially for fiction because I give it away a lot and I don't necessarily keep a lot of those things. It's just more convenient to get Kindle books for fiction. Um, but audiobooks, I am not pro. Although I have to say there is a caveat to this. I am very pro audiobooks for other people and the existence of audiobooks generally, I just personally do not like listening to audiobooks. And my main reason is because I love podcasts because I kind of think of those in some ways like the radio, that it's just someone telling me about information or I'm listening to an interview with someone. But audiobooks, because especially when it's fiction, I just can't listen to other people's interpretations of character voices and they might put emphasis on different parts of sentences and speech that I would not have done. And dialogue in audiobooks just doesn't work for me. And I know that's awful for you because you love the Stephen Fry Harry Potter audiobooks, but I just can't listen to them. I love Stephen Fry so much, but it just doesn't work for me. His voices for the characters, just it's not how they sound in my head. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not a huge fan of audiobooks, but... I am very pro people reading in whatever way works for them. I think I read some statistics somewhere that said a third of secondary school leavers never pick up a book again, which makes me so sad. The thought of people never reading again after 18 and as adults, you know, you read things so differently as an adult versus when you were a child or a teenager, even if it's the same book. I know there are several books that friends of mine have read. The Great Gatsby is a really good example of this. I know so many people who read The Great Gatsby at school, GCSEs, A-levels, for whatever they were doing, and they hated it for whatever reason. They might have had a not great English teacher or just they didn't like it at the time. But now, you know, 10, 15 years later as adults, they love The Great Gatsby. So it just makes me really sad to think that so many people are missing out on books that they could love. And there's so many new books that come out every year that potentially could be something that they love and they just don't ever see those because they never pick up a book again so I am very pro audiobooks if that is the way that gets people back into reading 
So every month when we do this podcast, we will kind of break it into three different sections. We'll start with our current and recent reads, which we're calling the now and then section. Um, And then we will get on to the topic for the month, which this month's going to be our favorites of all time, which that was impossible to choose. So we'll do our best. Um, And then we'll round up every month with our non-bookish reads. So um, now and then I... I'm reading a couple of different books at the moment, which is very unusual for me. Usually I'm a one book at a time person, um, but I am in a great gothic fiction book club that's run by the lovely Jenny. She's at Notes to the Moon on Instagram, and she has a great podcast with a couple of other women um, called the Bookcast Club. Would definitely recommend checking that out. Um, so the book that we're reading for September is The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. I've only just started, so I don't really have a ton to say about this, but from the chapter and a half that I've read so far, it is really interesting. Um, it's definitely got a good kind of gothic vibe already so I think that I'm really gonna like this one um and then the other book that I'm currently reading is Chase Darkness With Me by Billy Jensen um Billy is a journalist he mainly focuses on crime stories he has a true crime podcast um and he also was a contributor to Michelle McNamara's book I'll Be Gone in the Dark so I know that was really popular in kind of the true crime community a couple of years ago. Um, So he was a contributor to that. She worked quite closely with him on investigating the Golden State Killer case. Um, So Billy's book is really just talking about various cases that he's worked on. Um, And I just find that really interesting that, you know, some of these cold cases that have been unsolved for decades in some cases have not been you know police haven't been able to figure those out but then just ordinary people have managed to crack those cases um so i I find that whole thing really interesting so those are the two that i'm currently reading what about you currently there's there's a fair amount that i'm reading but one that i i do particularly want to highlight uh is a book for 2020 if ever there was one um interestingly enough was not new for 2020 but is just appropriate with the raging dumpster fire this year has become uh the book is hey we still have a few months left there could be salvation for 2020 fingers crossed i say this hopefully the book is how to survive a shipwreck by jonathan martin the book uh as he's as he's writing and telling his story in the book he he looks at the the lives that we build and construct for ourselves using uh through the metaphor of a ship and you know the the ship the lives that we build the the things that we surround ourselves with carry ourselves carry us through life and they work out and we become attached to them and everything's great until the ship hits a wreck the ship hits a rock and starts to sink and everything is falling apart and when everything we've built and everything we hold dear starts crashing down around us, how, how do we survive? How do we get through that shipwreck? And uh, this year has really been a shipwreck for many people uh, from a health, you know, health perspective, from an economic perspective. Uh, it's, it's not been a great year for most of us. Uh, so that that book is one that I've, I've read several times before. And each time I read it, I, I get new, new insights, new things hit me. Uh, so that's, that's really been a powerful book for me. What about your then? 
Um, so I most recently finished Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Uh, most people know him as a late night comedian, but he wrote this fabulous book. It's an autobiography of his life growing up in South Africa. There are so many things I didn't know about him. Like his mother got shot right in front of him by, I think it was his stepfather. Um, And he just had, there were so many crazy stories about, you know, his early jobs when he was in school, um, how he ended up in the US. It's just, it's so interesting. So I would definitely recommend that if you like his comedy style and you like his show, it's it reads very similarly so if you like that tone that he has i would definitely recommend reading born a crime it's that's one of my books of the year for sure so what have you read recently that you've really enjoyed a book that i've read recently that i really enjoyed uh is actually a book that i didn't really expect to enjoy um i'd seen people talking about it um you've mentioned it before i've seen it on our shelf and it didn't really strike me as my cup of tea um but i did really enjoy it it's the night circus by aaron morgenstern and i know it's a book you really liked yeah i read that maybe six or seven years ago when i don't remember when it was published but i read it very recently after it was published and I loved that book. I don't actually remember very much about what happens in the Night Circus because it's just been so long, but that is definitely going to be on my reread list, hopefully in the next few months if I ever make it through my to-be-read list. But I heard they're making it into a film, which I would be delighted if that actually happened. There's been rumours about this for years, though, so I'm not holding my breath, but I, I can definitely see that being an excellent visual story. It, it For those who haven't read it, I... I obviously won't go into any spoilers but the the imagery that's captured in the book is amazing uh the description the prose the way the detail that um that is paid to every facet of the story is incredible it would be i can see that it would be difficult to make into a film without dropping so many of the visual elements that make the book unique but uh, it is a book that I, I really enjoyed. I, I will say if you're someone who has reading habits similar to mine and, and you may pick a book up, put it down for a day or two, pick it back up again, you may find this uh, a bit difficult to follow. I, I certainly did as I was starting. There are frequent points where the story jumps back and forth in time. It'll tell one story arc, then it'll jump over here and sort of build on this one as the plot is developing. Um, it's definitely a book that I would recommend reading, if not in one sitting, in as close to the same amount of time as possible, just to keep the story fresh in your mind as you're following it. So in terms of favorites, what would you say of anything that you've read comes anywhere close to being an all-time favorite for you? Oh, I could sooner choose a, a favorite child or a favorite breath um favorite favorite cat cat. but uh, the the closest the closest i think i can come would be my probably the writer who i think would be my favorite and that would have to be oscar wilde is it really bad to admit that i've never read any oscar wilde it's terrible i'm so sorry um 
It's on the list, I promise. I'll get there eventually. Whether it's uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, uh, the Ballad of Reading Jail, any of the plays, uh, the fairy tales, just the the way that he has with words is uh, unmatched in, in my reading experience. Um, it's, it's refreshing and enjoyable to read. And um, if I had to pick a particular favorite, it would probably vary based on mood. Um, but one that I would definitely recommend is called The Nightingale and the Rose. It's from the fairy tale collection called The Happy Prince and Other Tales. Um, is that a short it, story? It's, it is short. I don't know if it's he calls it a fairy tale. It's basically a short story. Uh, it is, I believe, available. Uh, it's in the public domain. So if you uh, if you Google it, you can read it online. Or I believe there are several uh, several readings that folks have put together on YouTube, setting it to uh, music and animation. Uh, so that that's definitely something that you can check out yourself and read as well in a short amount of time. How about you? What are your favorites? Where to start? So I've already said how much I love classics. I think my favorite book of all time is Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, which a lot of people are very surprised when I tell them that because it doesn't, it seems to be one of those Dickens books that people sort of know about, but nobody really knows much about it. Or they'll say, wait, which one's that again? So if you are one of those people, Great Expectations focuses on Pip. At the beginning of the book, Pip is a young boy and he comes across this escaped convict called Magwitch. Um, they meet in a cemetery. This is all in the first chapter, so this isn't a spoiler. Um, they meet in a cemetery and it's very creepy and eerie and just the setting is incredible. And I think that's why I love Dickens so much is he is the king of setting. And just especially the way he talks about London and the way he personifies the city and just the time period. I think Great Expectations was published in something like the 1860s. Um, it's just the way that he does the descriptions of you know characters play setting it's just masterful he was a, a master of his craft so i think the great expectations definitely has to be one of my favorites i will say miss havisham is a really interesting character most people don't particularly like her when they first read the book but i will say if if you're one of those people, watch the 2012 film adaptation where Helena Bonham Carter is Miss Havisham. She is incredible. I mean, Helena Bonham Carter is incredible in pretty much everything that she's in, but she is the perfect Miss Havisham. I think after watching that film adaptation, when I went back to reread it for, I think, the fifth or sixth time, I just had a whole new appreciation for Miss Havisham and you just see her in a completely different way. So I would definitely recommend that one. I think my other favorite is a nonfiction, which it is not a history nonfiction. Surprise. I know. <laughs> it is Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. So most people know Aziz Ansari for playing Tom Haverford in Parks and Rec, which is my favorite TV show. I love that show so much. Um, and he's also a comedian as well. But what he did a few years ago was he worked with a few academics. I think one was a New York University sociologist, and they conducted a worldwide experiment and research study on what people 
kind of associate love with, romance, how people fall in love, how they find love. It was so interesting. Right at the beginning of the book, Aziz talks about how he'd been on, you know, different social media apps and been on dates like Tinder dates and that kind of thing um, and finding romance that way. And kind of the pros and cons of doing something like that, the things that had worked out for him, hadn't worked out for him. Um, And so it kind of goes from there where he, you know, starts with a very personal story. And then from that point on, you get more into the research side of things. I will say it's not a heavy read. You don't have to have a degree in sociology to enjoy and appreciate this book and to understand it. I don't have a degree in sociology. I've never taken a sociology class. I love this book though. I just think it's so fascinating. I love anything to do with, you know, why do people make the decisions that they do? Why do people behave in the way that they do? Um, And this one is great. It's, you know, focused around a particular topic. It's not a huge book. I think it's only about 250 pages. So definitely would recommend that one if, if that's something that you're interested in. I have to give an honorable mention to Becoming by Michelle Obama. I won't even start to describe this book because if you've read it, you know exactly why this is on my favorites list. If you haven't read it, just just go read it. I'm not going to tell you anything. If you if you like Michelle Obama, you will love this book. That might be my one audiobook exception because she reads the audiobook and I just love listening to her speak. Her podcast is great. She does great speeches. The audiobook was fabulous. I I love that woman so much. So, I think those those three are my definite highlights for sure so moving on to the final segment non-bookish reads what is your non-bookish read this month so the non-bookish read that i had identified was actually an article that i recently read in the atlantic news magazine the title is the new reconstruction and this article actually Uh, It was in the most recent issue, which is the October 2020 issue, which I can't believe we're even using the words October 2020 right now. But it it examines um, how and this is from the lead, the lead of the article, the devastation of the coronavirus and the surge in support for Black Lives Matter that followed the killing of George Floyd have presented the United States with its best opportunity in 150 years to remake American society and belatedly fulfill its promise as a multiracial democracy. That sounds very intense, and this, but very needed. It, it, it is intense. It is very intense. It is very needed. Um, it's, it's not a, a massive read. It's not a novel, but um, it's, it's a main story in a news magazine. So it, it, you know, it'll take you more than two or three minutes to read. Um, but that said, it's, it's very well written. It looks at uh, American history through uh, the time after the close of the American Civil War, uh, which is known as the Reconstruction Era, just due to the, the southern states that had left the American Union being, uh, quote unquote, reconstructed and rebuilt to allow them to to rejoin the Union. Um, there were it was a, definitely a problematic era in American history, and I won't get too far into it now because I don't want to put everyone to sleep. That's a conversation for another day <laughs> and another podcast. Um, that said, I would highly recommend reading this article, um, if only for the way that it it ties things together and really gives a lot of the events of 2020 um, new meaning and new connections. Um, so that's mine. How about yours? 
So mine is a very recent publication. I think this only came out yesterday or the, the day before yesterday. It is an article in New York Magazine titled Buying Myself Back, When Does a Model Own Her Own Image? Um, it's by Emily Ratajkowski. I hope I said that right. Um, and she is an actress and a model. And it is a fascinating essay about when she has come up against issues of owning images of herself. Um, so I think it was a few years ago now, um, she was actually sued by a paparazzi photographer because she took a picture that he had taken of her carrying some flowers down the street. And I think she had used it on her Instagram and it's a picture of her. There's nobody else in this image. It's just her walking down the street, carrying a bunch of flowers, but he argued that she did not own that image. He took the pictures. He owns the image. Um, and so I think that that was successful and she ended up having to pay him thousands of dollars because of her using this image on Instagram. She goes on to talk about an image from her own Instagram that a famous artist used and was selling for an extortionate amount of money um, because he had kind of repurposed the Instagram graphic into an art piece. Um, and then it kind of goes on to talk about, you know, her boyfriend tried to buy it. And then when her and her boyfriend broke up, um, they had joint ownership of this one particular image but it was a huge image of her it was a giant photo of herself and so the the essay really goes on to talk about you know some different experiences that she's had where she has not owned her own images and images of herself and it gets kind of graphic warning for anyone who's going to read this it does mention a sexual assault that happened to her um several years ago so just you know if that's something that is triggering for you please be mindful of that if you're going to read this article um but i would definitely encourage anyone to read this especially you know me too movement has i feel like got a little quiet in recent times and it's so important to remember that these things continue to happen in all industries um but it's a it's a great article it's a, a great read and it's really harrowing in some places but i didn't know that much about her and i've never really thought about the fact that models don't really necessarily own images of themselves and it, it's a really interesting thing to think about I was thinking about how you know we all post these selfies of our, ourselves and our friends on platforms like Instagram but do we actually own that content no Instagram does so it's just a really interesting article to read and kind of discuss with people about you know who owns your own image not just image, but with the the way our whole lives really are centering around the internet. Who owns our lives? Yeah, it's... There's your food for thought. It's kind of scary to think about. Is that the bombshell we're going to leave everyone on? It just might be. It just might be. So we will link all of the books that we've mentioned in this episode and both of those articles in the show notes if you're interested in checking any of those out but I think that wraps up our first episode thank you so much for listening we hope this is okay we really have no idea what we're doing so hopefully we will only improve and get better from this point onwards um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at what we read pod and you can send us any book recommendations or topics that you'd like us to cover to what we read pod at gmail.com don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. We will see you next month for a new episode.